0: Hello and welcome. I'm Amanda Farmer and this is your Strata Property. With over 30 years experience in insurance and financial services, Paul Keating has overseen business in both board and executive positions and is the co-founder of Strata Community Insurance, which he started in March 2014. And he's also the company's managing director. Prior to this, Paul spent eight years as a managing director at CHU and BCB and 13 years at Zurich Financial Services. Paul has worked within the insurance markets of the US, Canada, the UK, Switzerland, Japan, Hong Kong, Singapore and the UAE. He holds an executive MBA from the University of New South Wales and is a senior associate of the Australian and New Zealand Institute of Insurance and Finance. Paul's also a fellow of the Australian Institute of Company Directors and an associate fellow of the Australian Institute of Management. What a busy guy. Now, on top of all of that, Paul also found time to be a member of our expert panel at our YSP Live event which was held back in April 2018 and the video from that event as you may have heard by now is available from ysplive.com so if you like what you're about to hear check out that video for more of Paul's insurance wisdom but right now today we have him here I am delighted to welcome Paul Keating of Strata Community Insurance welcome Paul Thank you. Well,
1: thank you, Amanda. Very impressive introduction. <laughs> thank you very much. If
0: you do say so yourself. <laughs>
1: yes, absolutely. Thank you.
0: It's lovely to have you. I've been wanting to have you on the show for some time now, and your expertise, and you have been recommended to me by so many in the strata sector. Strata Community Insurance, I know, puts on fabulous forums and information events for for managers, for those of us who are servicing the sector, and they're always so well attended, and you're always the first one to put your hand up to share your knowledge and your expertise. So finally, I've got you here.
1: Yeah, thank you. No, it's look, I think it's everyone's has a role to help uh, educate the strata community. It's a, a tagline that we have. And, um, you know, we're pleased to sort of bring the expertise that we have within our business to, uh, to all the stakeholders. So, um, as you know, uh, owners, ultimately, there's a, there's a lack of knowledge right across the industry. So it's just a part of what our giving back to the, the strata community.
0: Yeah, very important and very valuable work. And we're here today, of course, to talk about risk in our strata communities and how we might be able to best reduce that risk, some strategies, some steps we can take. And you are certainly the expert to talk to on that topic. I'm going to start by asking you, Paul, why do you say it's critical for strata buildings to at least think about this issue of risk and think about how they might be able to reduce their risk?
1: Yeah, look, and it, it comes back to the nature of what people have bought into, and you know most people will still say I bought an apartment. No one comes around and says, "Hey, friends, family, I just bought the right to occupy a space <laughs> in a building that's owned by a legal entity." And I've become a member of that legal entity and I share in its assets, which is the bricks and mortar and and the land, but I also share in the liabilities of that particular entity. Oh, by the way, it's got an unlimited liability um, legal entity structure. So when you think about what people are bought into, inherently, they're walking into, I guess, a number of challenges, risks, exposure, unfunded liabilities, and it's the way in which they're managed makes a difference to not only their asset value, but how much it costs them um, during their period in that owners' corporation as a member of that owners' corporation. Mm. So, you know, it's very, very critical. And when when you think about that and you think about buildings generally, the fact that they have a fixed life, uh, there are maintenance issues, there's a statutory duty to maintain and repair. And, yes, occasionally a storm will come across and there'll be some form of accidental damage or something that may occur. Not everything is covered by insurance, so there's always gaps. And we spend our life talking about risk. Yes, we sell insurance products, but it's always uh, focused around risk. So, most of our education for for managers and and brokers, uh, owners and other stakeholders are really looking at how do you actually reduce risk to ultimately lower cost and improve the amenity of a building.
0: Mm. A couple of things you've raised there, Paul, that I want to dig into a little bit deeper. You mentioned this concept of liability and, importantly, unlimited liability. Yeah. Now, this is a question that we strata lawyers get asked uh, every now and again. What does unlimited liability mean? Uh, What does it mean for strata buildings? It's quite unusual that you would buy into what has the semblance of a corporate structure and not have your liability capped at the level of your investment. So, when you buy into a strata building, you do have what we call this unlimited liability. And that means, in my words, and you You can give me yours, Paul. If there is some debt, let's say, that the owner's corporation is stuck with and has to pay, if it can't be met from the owner's corporation's funds, then the person who's entitled to receive that payment can look to each and every owner to repay that debt. And that comes as a shock. To some owners in strata to realize that they are personally exposed and just because the money is not in the kitty of the owners corporation it doesn't mean it's the end of the story Uh, the person who is entitled to be paid can look to the owners personally that's kind of scary
1: yeah look it it is and it it is right um you know in its simplest form even with a block of 10 units and and there's a liability unfunded liability that you essentially can go around to each member And they have to contribute up to the full extent of their net wealth, not the full extent of what they've invested in the property, the full extent of their net wealth. And if that bankrupts one person, then the other nine have to pick up the shortfall of that person. So these concepts are important. And I'm sure when I bought my first (laughs) strata investment property, if my lawyer as a conveyancer was helping me through explain this fundamental structure, the first thing I'd be saying is, oh my God, I've got to get involved and help the committee and pay attention to it because, you know, there's this complete lack of understanding and apathy when it comes to proactively managing the asset. So, yeah, it, it is there. But by the same token, I don't want to spook owners' investment. I've been in Strata for a long, long time. It provides good way of life. And there's there are certain protections. For example, the reasons that regulators have made insurance compulsory is to lower that unfunded risk. So, Most owners may or may not know about the statutory duty to, um, not only to maintain and repair, but to reinstate, so that there's something, some big events happen, there's some damage, that it has to get reinstated. And insurance is there, and the insurance funds have to be put towards that reinstatement. However, as I keep saying, insurance is finite. So, you've got this inherent mismatch between the assets of insurance and the liabilities, unlimited liability that owners face within this legal entity. So... If people get the concept, you can more proactively work with your strata managers and other advisors to help lower risk and you won't eliminate everything and you can transfer a lot, but at least be aware and have a discussion about how you approach risk in that particular scheme.
0: Mm. I want to jump into that very shortly about that exercise of proactively lowering your risk and what an acceptable level of risk might look like for a building. But before we get there, something you mentioned in your opening there, Paul, was that not everything is covered by insurance. Yes. Can I put you on the spot there and ask you to point out for our listeners some of the things that they might not realise are not covered by insurance?
1: Yeah, no, I'm happy to talk about. We should be talking more about it. So the perfect world to explain it, there are this strata insurance is quite comprehensive, it's quite broad, but certain risks are there's an inability for insurers like ourselves to buy reinsurance for. In other words, to be able to provide the the protection that we need to give to all other all of the buildings and all the assets we have on risk at any given time. An example of that might be like acts of war, hostility. More recently, uh, terrorism has been a big issue in the last decade or so, and so, and that cover moved away from the strata sector. Around about 2008, 2009, we were able to bring back a form of coverage there, up to about 50 million, and we've now brought in 100 million of, of coverage. And now the actual terrorism pool, the ARPC, have changed their cover to actually incorporate more strata buildings to provide that protection. But yeah, there's a few examples there. And I encourage people to talk to their strata managers and talk to the insurance brokers about those exclusions um, because every policy will have some of those, yeah.
0: Mm. What about cladding?
1: Cladding, yeah. Well, cladding in itself, can I say, is a a symptom of the defects epidemic that faces the strata sector, okay? So, here we have a couple of issues. Number one, a non-conforming product and we also have some conforming products, which make cladding, but have being used in a non-conforming way. So that's two issues. An insurance policy will see that as a defect because it's, it's non-conforming. So it is a defect. Generally, if we're on risk and there's a, a defect like that on a building and something happens, uh, we will pay for the consequential and cover the consequential damage that occurs out of that. But we won't pay for the replacement of the cladding. Or we won't pay for defects through fixing of defects, and this is a real issue um, because now we know these buildings have these defects. We're saying, "Well, hang on a sec, we, you know, we've got to get the defects fixed," and of course, it's a massive issue for owners to be able to raise funds to be able to do that, and there's been little little support of government in um, some sort of funding mechanism to help make sure that that takes place. So
0: mm, It's definitely a huge topic uh, which we can devote a whole episode to, but I, I couldn't let you go, Paul, without asking you that question of how, how the insurers are, are dealing with that because we've been anticipating for some time the knock-on effects from this defective building material being installed and insurance is a, uh, plays a really big part there.
1: Yeah. And there has been some knock-on impacts. There's no doubt that some of your listeners would have would have seen that. There's no doubt that it's there. But I keep saying to the government, this is not an insurance issue. This is a public health and safety issue. When you have a flammable product on a building and your standards, your building standards say no flammable product on the building, there's an issue, a fundamental issue. And it's complex in terms of who's going to pay for that. And I think only with government intervention will we get uh, an equitable solution for owners and the pressure needs to continue for that.
0: Mm. Let's move back to proactively managing risks and reducing risks. I think you've said there, Paul, that we we're never going to be able to eliminate risks. There's always going to be a level of risk. What is this acceptable level of risk? How do we get down to it? How do we manage our buildings so that we're only exposed to that acceptable level of risk?
1: Look, it's it's a great question. It's a big question. And I, I want to position it to say that every owner's corporation is different and their risk tolerance will be different. And so, a risk profile of, say, a, a four-lot scheme and a 200-lot scheme is completely different. There's a, a different public risk profile. There's a different profile around the exposure to common property. There's a different profile of ability to raise funds. There's a whole range of different aspects around it. And, and then you take that aspect and then you add occupancy. So, the difference risk profile of owner and tenant, someone who's, who's there has a, a dress shop or someone that has a fish and chip shop are different profiles. But the fact of the matter is, I think strata committees need to sit down and actually talk about risk. No one does. So, the first point is to talk about it. And for me, it's, you just have to look at what are the major concerns? What are the possibilities it could have? And you need to measure it really in two ways, the likelihood of a risk occurring, and the probability or the severity of when that risk does occur, what's it likely to be? You know, for us, a risk of an earthquake is a very, very small probability, but the severity is going to be quite significant. So we pay a lot of attention to how we buy reinsurance for that particular contingency. Right? Just as an example, for owners, you know, uh, defects, the risk of managing defects, uh, the earlier that they identify those defects and proactively work through the lower the risk it will be for themselves and also for the the rest of the owners. So there is a process there. And once those risks are identified, owners can do a number of things. They can decide that they might decide this risk is acceptable to us. We can self-fund it. We can put some money aside for it. They could transfer it, like insurance is an instrument to transfer risk from an owner's corporation to a capital provider like an insurance company, you could do something about it and actually eliminate the risk, like, you know, repair a leaking window, you've reduced the risk or eliminated the risk that the floors uh, would get wet and get damaged, for example. So, you know, this is this is risk management process. And we as an insurance company are on the tail end of that because we deal with the risk transfer. But it's really about the discussions upstream that's really, really important for strata committees to have. And it's very rarely on the agenda.
0: (laughs) You just took the words out of my mouth. Uh, I don't know if I have come across a strata committee uh, that I'm aware of that has sat down and engaged in this discussion. Have you been involved with committees who have been proactive in this way? Or have you got an example of a a building, a committee, even a manager who's working with a building and successfully reducing risk and, and taking these proactive steps?
1: You know, I think what happens is the issues of risk are actually discussed, but they're not. Let's talk about risk and risk management. For example, preparing a sinking fund is actually a form of risk management because you're saving and you're, you're forecasting and you're doing those things. So it is happening in different places, and I, I think I've come across. There's a number of examples where you know we've identified risks and we've worked with strata managers and owners to help you know do some risk improvements. Probably the best and simplest case to articulate was a, a scheme in Queensland, which we under underwrote in, in around 2014. And it had no prior history. All of a sudden, within the space of about three months, had something like about four or five burst pipe clamps and, and water damage coming out, which was very unusual. So we spoke with the manager and we spoke with the, the committee chairman at the time, and we recommended to get a plumber in to do some pressure testing. And so they did some pressure testing of the pipes in the building which worked out to be around about 460 PSA, for example. And they went to the mains and tested the pressure at the mains. And it was 1,100, nearly two and a half times the pressure that the pipes could take inside the building. So it became inevitable. So in a simple case there, they've taken, what can we do? Pressure reduction valve, put it on the mains. They've reduced the, the pressure down to about 300 PSA coming in. And all those burst pipe claims went away. And what we've we've dug into this a bit deeper because what actually happened subsequently in the next year or two was uh, some of the neighbouring properties started having the same problems. And we've realised that at certain times, a fire brigade will work with the water authorities to get them to increase the pressure of water mains in the street, but no one gets any notice out of it. And if you can imagine the flow-on effects. So, you know, sometimes owners don't know what's happened to my building all of a sudden, you know, there's, there's water coming out everywhere. But the pressure in the, the water mains has increased because fire brigades needed to be at a minimum amount. So there's lots of, you know, we, we're still learning, there's lots of different examples like that. But this particular committee and the strata manager, they listen, they took action and they've, they've mitigated that risk. So that's just kind of a simple example where, you know, it can avoid the cost of those claims.
0: Mm. Really good tip there for uh, a practical tip for buildings who might be experiencing some problems with burst pipes and water pressure to take those steps. You mentioned there, Paul, a committee that listens, a committee that takes action. How do you get them to listen? How do you get them to take action? What are the problems? What's the pushback that you're seeing that managers are getting when it comes to trying to engage a committee or a building in this exercise of of thinking about the future, of managing risk. Uh, How do we get past that initial objection that this is not necessary, this um, this is boring, this is expensive, how do we resolve those objections?
1: Yeah. Well, there's probably three areas that, that come to mind. And you'll know the first one, owner apathy. Mm. is It's the biggest challenge for managers to get some form of activity. And I think it also depends on the building because on average, we have something like 55, 60% of the, the strata schemes around Australia are tenanted. And we find that buildings that are got a higher proportion of owner occupiers tend to be more invested in amenity and being proactive around risk issues. Than a building that's predominantly rented out or leased out, and they're a mix of owner investors because they're looking more for yield. And and of course, you know, the owner occupies looking for amenities. So that's one thing. The cost becomes the, the second biggest pushback that strata managers have, but there's real cost and perceived cost. And I think what people see part of their roles on strata committees, they get a budget. And if I can save money on that budget, I've been a very good committee member. But that's only one part of it, the hidden cost. No one measures the hidden cost of not doing something, yep. only the direct cost of actually spending something on a repair or a maintenance issue. So, I think that, that whole cost-benefit exercise is not well understood. And um, I think also that the third element that we see is what I'd call owner entitlement. Oh, we've got insurance, push it through that. That's what insurance is for, right? You know, let's do that. And And it's right, people have a right to claim on insurance. And that's what it's there for. But generally, you know, it works better for big claims and bigger events, but you see lots of little claims come through. Very few people understand that if you put through $100 of claims, particularly in New South Wales, where you've got this massive tax on insurance that the state government's imposing a lot of tax, funds fire brigade from people who buy insurance. But if $100 of claims will turn out to around about $300 in premium, that's the kind of level so... In the end, it might be economical day one, but is it really economical over a longer period? In the US, by contrast, most strata communities over there, they self-fund most claims up to about $10,000 because they realise that it's cheaper for them to repair things, pay and just pay GST on top, a consumption tax on top, rather than go through and incur all these other state taxes. And they use insurance for larger claims and for catastrophe events. Mm. It's just a different psyche. You know, it's yeah, a, different
0: a really interesting point. And it's something that I've uh, discovered in my years of practising strata law. And you tell me if you feel this on your side, but I feel that strata insurers are particularly generous when it comes to meeting claims, accepting claims, the policy terms are generous. And I wonder if that has something to do with this culture that we're developing of, oh, well, will just claim on insurance because that's what it's there for and they'll cover it. It's unusual in my experience that a claim, and I'm often in- involved in claims for legal defence costs, for example. So we've been taken to the tribunal uh, and I've said to the building, well, you've got a policy of insurance, maybe inquire with your insurer whether that's covered. And nine times out of 10 it is. And the building's sort of saying, oh, wow, you know, this, this is amazing. This is wonderful. And I've taken to using the line, look, that's Strata Insurance at the moment they just seem to be they're there for us and that's great but taking the long view like you say Paul um, how is this then affecting our premiums how is this affecting the culture of claiming and let's not forget that you know the government's aware of this now too and is jumping on with that tax slug.
1: Yeah yeah so it's The short answer is insurers are always kind of positioned to say, well, it's fair game and we'll have a crack at it. But we are exceptionally benevolent. I would say in my 35 years in the industry, probably no other class of insurance are we we more benevolent. And it's, you know, there's black and white and then there's grey. And I would say in the strata sector, probably nine times out of 10, we will look at owners positively when there's a grey area around a claim. That won't always be the case. I think you'll find now that things are starting to tighten up because the number of claims and the average cost of claims are going well above insurers' predictions, and they'll see that now through higher deductibles and higher premiums over the next sort of 12, 18 months. It's starting to happen at the moment. So um, how do we change the culture? That's a harder one, particularly if you know not everyone likes to talk about insurance and not everyone understands the mechanics. It's just a, a financing end of that risk transfer process. But you know, we're here to, to help to talk to a strata managers, and if we need to talk to committees about how they could more efficiently manage over the, the medium to long term. But I would say, particularly in New South Wales, where that tax proportion is between, depending on the, the building, between 30 and 40 percent added to the cost of insurance. I'd be self-funding. I'd put aside a, a reserve fund and be funding all that small stuff myself and go to market for a really competitive insurance policy with a claims-free history and use it for the large losses and those big events that you can't predict.
0: Yep. Very good advice. Thank you for those practical tips. Now, everyone who comes on the podcast gets the book question, what books have had the greatest impact on you and why?
1: Okay. um, Well, I'm not a big book reader, I have to admit, but yes, probably one of the earlier ones was I've I've been more into sports and biographies and Mm. One that hit me um, in particular was the rise and rise of Kerry Packer, Uh um, which I learned a lot about Sir Frank Packer, and you could see sort of the the history and and the behavior, and you can understand how Kerry acted and behaved, and probably James to a certain extent, Mm -hmm. a lot of pressure. But the one that I'm really keen about and really excited is is one that's been uh, recently promoted. Um, It's called Why We Sleep Mm -hmm. by Professor Matthew Walker, Mm -hmm. and he's – A neuroscientist, and he's been looking at sleep and the issues in society around sleep deprivation and how that's exacerbating health, obesity, cancer, Alzheimer's, and the fact that it can actually reverse through getting regular sleep. So the brain can actually help heal itself over a period of time. So, all research he's done, I've seen a video clip of it, which was given to me by a staff member, believe it or not and I loved it. I've got the book. I'm getting on a plane next week, and that's the first thing I'm going to read, so I'm really looking Excellent. forward
0: to it. Excellent. Yeah, let me know how that goes. I'm, I'm always fascinated in that data that we have increasingly around the importance of sleep, especially in our crazy modern lives, and it's really good that we're getting some good research out there in lots of different ways, whether it's a, a journal article or a, a novel, a book, to understand how important it is for us to be aware of the impact that. sleep deprivation has on us because it is so insidious I think back to my days of being a new mum and also a new business owner and working long hours into the night just because I had to and probably not realizing the mistakes that I was making you don't realize until it comes back to bite you the nature of that sleep deprivation and the the risk that's the word the risk that you put yourself at
1: absolutely absolutely
0: all right. Now, before we wrap up today, Paul, let us know how our listeners can find out more about you and anything you'd like to add.
1: Yeah, look, um, the Strata Community Insurance is our is Flagstaff brand and business, so um, we can find us on the web there. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, so people can contact me there. And yeah, look, we're here to help. I guess our proposition that what we want to do in the Strata market is to continue on help educating people and help improve And, you know, we've got a lot of work to do with government, a lot of work to do with the regulators, and, um, you know, we'll be a part of it along the way. So looking forward to that.
0: Excellent. I'm looking forward to seeing uh, the impact that Strata Community Insurance continues to have. I know you have a wonderful team there supporting you, Paul, and I love catching up with all of you at various conferences and events. I'm looking forward to the next one. And our listeners should make sure if they want to hear more from Paul and his expertise that he added to our panel at YSP Live this year, check out the video at ysplive.com. Thanks so much for your time today, Paul.
1: Absolute pleasure. You take care. You too. Thanks, Amanda.
0: Thank you for listening to Your Strata Property, the podcast which consistently delivers to property owners reliable and accurate information about their strata property. You can access all the information below this episode via the show notes at www.yourstrataproperty.com.au. You can also ask questions in the comments section, which Amanda will answer in her upcoming episodes. How can Amanda help you today?